Building better players. Building better games. This is playing the role. Welcome back to Playing the Role. I am Nathan Stone. With me, as always, is the great Dylan Campbell and the magnificent Darcy Robinson. Those are their official titles, and if you speak to them without those titles, they will attack you. Um, <laughs> just a disclaimer as we start. Uh, boys, it's it's good to, uh, good to be back this evening, and uh, we got a fun show. We're talking about when campaigns go off the rails, when things happen that uh, no one foresaw, things got silly, things got stupid, or things got weird. How do you get them back? Is it worth trying? When do you give up? When do you say enough is enough? And uh, some strategies maybe to, to help people out. You use the term jump the shark verbatim in the, uh, in the topic. Indeed. And I'm a little young guy, and I actually had to look up uh, what that fully meant. I knew generally the idea, but I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Help me. I'm turning to dust. Why am I so old? <laughs> you killed, you killed Darcy. Honestly, if I wasn't already a wizened lich, I, I would have crumbled just then. D Dylan, that makes me so sad. I figured it out. Um, so you you did see the the origin of Jump the Shark, though, right? With, yes. With the fawns and happy days. Okay, and okay. you better have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So now you have context, though. <laughs> exactly. So this is good. We we do teach Dylan, and Dylan teaches us Gen Z things. So it's you know it's it's back and forth. It's a give and take. Whether that's for the better or for the worse, uh, that's for you to decide. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Well, with with that shocking revelation, I think we should get to uh, new and noteworthy. And and you boys have been busy in the old role playing world. I I have not. So I'm gonna just seed my time right now. Television 8 News presents Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Well, the headlines tonight Dungeon Master and Hobgoblins, Dwarves, Elves, and Havelings. New and Noteworthy. Uh, let's start off uh, with uh, professional shark jumper Dylan Campbell. What's, uh, <laughs> there you go. What's new? <laughs> what's happening? So much. I've, done, I've been doing so much, and it's, it's great. It's good to be back in the seat. Uh, firstly, those games I've had, these um, these solo games, primers, if you will, with these two players, I've finally at least begun to merge them together to a greater campaign. In fact, to the point where it went from a two-person game to a three-person game, because um, word of mouth spreads throughout friend groups, and uh, a guy told a buddy, and he's like, oh, can I play? And he, he wrote me some pretty good stuff, so I'm like, yeah, sure, try it out. And uh, he played uh, Baldur's Gate 3. So he had a bit of an understanding of the, the fifth edition system. So essentially, they won your heart just by that alone. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> and he, he's, been, he's been a treat. He's been slowly learning the ropes. And um, I've been, they've been pretty long sessions. The solo games were like three-ish hours at most. These, with at least two people, six hours. Which is always what I used to hit back in my heyday. I say that like I'm... Old at all. <laughs> the halcyon <laughs> days of your youth? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sure. Uh, but now um, they're, they're longer, and that's wonderful. And I can't wait to see what happens when I throw another player in the mix, and they become 12 hours. I have a blooming game on the go. Uh, Darcy, I've, I've, joined a, I've joined some of his friends in playing some games online. 
which has been the first time I've been playing in a few months. And I wanted to give back to that community. And so I'm running you, Darcy, and some of your buddies through something soon TM. So, you know, months from now, maybe a year. Who knows? And finally, uh, I recently picked up uh, four new books online, PDF, from MCDM Productions. Uh, mainly their monster book, which is the supplemental material for 5th edition, called Flea Mortals. Such a good title. Oh, I've heard and of it, that. Yeah, okay. Yep. It re and so it just oh, the encounter design, the monster action orientated. Everyone has a bonus action, reaction, villain actions. You know, anti parties. Uh, the goblins have like there's the archer goblin and there's the skirmisher, the brute, and they tell you literally verbatim. Goblins typically run past the front line because they don't provoke and they go and stab the squishies in the back, and it's just it makes. Combat, so much more interesting. My favorite part about the book, minions. True, classic, army of one-hit-point skeletons. Just, like, random losers you get to cleave through. And that's so fun. That sounds great. I, I feel like that's what D&D really needs is, is ways to make... Because it's a game that, at its heart, all the mechanics are around combat, or 99% of them. So in making combat more engaging and fun, that's gold. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Honestly, he's shared that with me and I've been going through it as well for reasons I will soon explain. But oh my goodness, Nathan, you got to have a look at that, dude. Okay. All right. Wow. All right. That's a high recommendation, especially since I uh, don't run and barely play Dungeons and Dragons, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll have to seek it out. And, well, uh, you and better start, boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll get around to you two again. And uh, you'll you'll see that book in spades. Oh my goodness! All right. Oh, I can't I can't wait uh, <laughs> because uh, the reason I have been looking through that and other different forms of manuals is because I was given a very interesting kind of game. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a game that I was running, but it just sort of thrust upon me some achieve games some have games thrust upon them and how darcy you're the only person i know who could accidentally end up running <laughs> this 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 whole thing has been a series of accidents okay let me elaborate please so a while back i took dylan and a couple of my other friends through a Free roaming dungeon crawl. The one shot. Oh, yes. The infamous yeah, one, seven shot. Shot, one yes, shot. The <laughs> se seven shot, one shot. Yeah, that's right. That was legend. Oh. I, I never got tired of listening to, to stories about that game because it never ended. And it was my favorite one shot of all time. Oh, my. Uh, how embarrassing. But yes, uh, I was a little too big for my britches and. By the end of it, one of my characters uh, mysteriously vanished into a rift in time and space and ended up on another plane of existence. So he ended up uh, in a place where I decided, well, I may as well tell you what happened. So I ran like a two-shot with him, just with him alone, which essentially concluded with him ending up in some sort of, uh, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off and say cyberpunk dystopia. Yes, 
This is a Dungeons and Dragons game still. Mind-bogglingly, as, I, as I've come to learn. Oh, we'll get to that. So I thought, okay, well, that's opened you up to a campaign that my buddy had in, in mind. So it's like, okay, I can hand this character off to you, and uh, that'll be that. What happens? He makes a character, the guy I was supposed to hand this off to, and he's like, I want to be a part of this. Oh, that's, that's low. That's low and dirty. <laughs> he did you dirty, Darcy. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were bamboozled here. In Duped. A, in, a, uh, in a fantastical way at that. Because, like, I didn't want to touch a game in this setting uh, because I had no idea how it works. This is a cyberpunk dystopia in an otherwise like regular fantasy world i know i know nathan i know (laughs) thank you for understanding dylan but it escalates from here how is there another how is there more escalation from this this is already (laughs) insane this is already nonsensical so flashback to last month Okay. okay a couple of my buddies decided to do a couple other halloween one shots which were more like Halloween two shots, but I wasn't involved in that because I was just, well, I was moving, but I was busy doing that. My other buddies were running these Halloween one shots. So I decided when my one buddy was running it, uh, I decided to hop in, just play some music for him. Just DJ the game, essentially. This is probably the most bloody campaign I've ever seen. Only one person technically survived this campaign. Everybody else died in horrific ways or may as well be dead. That's Halloween, Halloween. though. So you you expect, you expect. (laughs) But the reason that everybody died in horrific ways is because this was a, this was like, you know, a sort of mad scientist magical lab kind of feel to it. Uh, But also... For the final battle that these guys engaged in, uh, it went full PvP. The party got split. Six people. uh, And they they all ended up killing each other, with the exception of one person who managed to escape alive. But so essentially, one person died in an explosion when going to hell. Uh, One person... Uh, was exposed to the flames of the elemental plane of fire and degenerated into a fire elemental. Two people were killed by other players uh, and had their souls absorbed as a result. Uh, One person got infected with a deadly virus. The other person managed to escape completely unscathed and with nothing to show for it. This is Tomb of Horrors level of, like ridiculous party member death in the most <laughs> absurd way <laughs> so just, hold up for a second here i'm a little confused does mm-hmm. this uh, relate to the shadow run <laughs> fantasy yes. dystopia so here's here's why all right okay uh <laughs> here's why this relates back to me i just wanted to share that because it was something i was djing but it turned out that uh one of these people who ended up dying ended up choosing a worse fate. 
uh, and ended up flying through an exploded portal uh, through time and space. And guess where they end up? In the setting that I'm supposed to be making this game for. It, it sounds like everything has been made for this setting, as well as uh, like 15 characters that don't belong there. <laughs> and, and you're just expected to kind of pick up these weird pieces and make some kind of sandcastle out of them and be like, here, play in this. Is that uh, right? Essentially, that's what I, that's what's been thrust upon me. However, the fact that it's in the same high fantasy world aside, uh, I've been having a lot of fun writing the actual sci-fi portions of it. I went through, and more surprisingly, Dylan decided that he wanted to be a part of this. Yeah, I don't, sci-fi is typically not my thing. Like maybe like Spelljammer, like space fantasy, but sci-fi, sci-fi, I think 40K is the closest thing that even hits that and, ballpark. And 40K is pretty space fantasy as well, honestly, yeah. when you get right down yeah, to it. Yeah, so I've been learning. I, I guess, yeah. Um, wow, wow. I'm just trying to take this in. My brain is still trying to fit all of these jigsaw pieces of other puzzles together. It was a hell of a journey for me too, piecing it all together. Sorry, I just there's one thing I absolutely have to know mm-hmm. before we can move on here. Why in the world is it taking place in like a regular fantasy world instead of something like just the Shadowrun setting or cyberpunk? That's what I said. I, the only answer that I could give you for that is probably that my buddy didn't want to run that sort of thing in that but sort of does. format. He but very like, clearly does want to run that. <laughs> no, kind of thing. Nathan. Oh, he wants you to run it for I'm everything. Sorry. And he, he wants, wants to be you. done by Darcy. <laughs> he's been he's been making this whole like world anyways, and this place was like a secret sort of nation. Uh, hidden away from the eyes of mankind forever. Uh, so this is his 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 super secret world that he was building, his special snowflake world setting that, that he has worked on. And you get to the point where this game is ready to run. You have characters that have either been shunted through time or space, or I assume at least a couple of the players are actually making legitimate characters for this game. Mm-hmm. And that's been fascinating on its own, connecting the puzzle pieces for that. Why doesn't he want to run this game? Why is he telling you to run this game? He doesn't. You don't know this world. He made this world in his head. This isn't an existing setting. He's just going to get upset when you don't do what he would do. Every, every DM makes worlds they want to play in, Nathan. Yeah, I know, but that's the curse. That is our cross nope. to bear. We don't get to play in those worlds. We get to make them, we get to shape them, and then we get to put people in them, and then we can't control what they do. Nope, he found a way. He found a way. He did. It's And I hate it. I hate this so much. So, like, okay. Uh, so, a little bit of context is that I'm DMing, and one of my other buddies is DMing in this world as well. We've been... He like decided to give us our own kind of nations to do just whatever with, right? Very, very um, isolated from everything else. We could just do whatever we want in that case. All right? And therein lies the problem. <laughs> when things cross over, we have to go through a lot of checks and balances with each other uh, to the point that essentially there's just three DMs for this world. Just outright. This is insane. Firstly, 
if you're going to isolate all of these super isolated nations from each other in the world, have different worlds. If you don't want the cross-contamination, if you don't want to cross the streams, <laughs> don't put them in the same world. They don't have to be in the same world. You're running different games. If there's not supposed to be crossover, why in God's green earth or wherever this crazy world is, are you setting all of these different games that shall never, ever meet in the same place? What, why are you just making extra work for yourselves? What are you doing, guys? Therein lies the uh, there, uh, something, because... Um, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills crosses. in this conversation. <laughs> Nothing makes sense there's, here, Darcy. There's crossovers. There is, like, crossovers as, like, supposedly cameos. People can go wherever they want. The nations are free to do as they wish. Uh, but um, they are... But essentially... They, they, we have a piece of this world to just kind of do whatever we want with, and then other people can use bits of that to like to crossover. Crossover is is uh, what's the word? Encouraged. Um, and I think that's where I might have worded that weirdly. It's. I, I feel like this would make so much more sense if it was a. Um, oh no! What's the term? The uh, West Marches. If it was a West Marches game. Mm. Yes. I'm I think that would be a, a good... Really? Oh, come on. West Marches, even I know that. I don't know Jump the Shark, but West Marches, Darcy? <laughs> West okay, Marches... okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> West Marches is like... Um, it's, it's one big world that a bunch of DMs run, very similar, except there's just basically like an assignment board. And it's like, this DM is running this synopsis. Grab your player oh. characters and come in. Yeah, okay, so that's exactly what that See, is. See, the more you say it, the less I believe you, but go, you know, yeah, sorry, go on. The, one, one of the main differences, though, is that people keep their characters. Like, they don't have multiple sets. There's just one character, and they go from place to place. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, like, you know, so how Ted's character be? and Bonnie's character Ted. can meet up in, you know, Clyde's game. But when Anna runs a game, Ted might be there. Ugh. But Bonnie might not be there, and that's okay. That's expected. I see, I see. Hmm. That's a fascinating way to put it. So apparently, so this is all a larger part, essentially, to, like, you know, make characters that will essentially meet up for, like, some final global catastrophe, whatever that yeah. may be. And, and to be fair, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not seriously like criticizing you guys here. It just, it, it's so alien to me that I, I find it fascinating and very hard to follow. Like, I, I'm glad everyone's having a good time. I really am. But yeah. Well, yes, for the most part. I mean, there, it certainly has its drawbacks, like the situation that I find myself in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, and getting um, back to our original discussion on how Darcy got a game foisted on him. Yes. Yes. And essentially, all that aside, I've got this setting thrust upon me, and I've been writing completely regardless of anything else out there, anything else we've established in the world, because it doesn't matter for this. It's isolated. It is uh, it, it, nothing else matters. So I'm just writing it like that. And so I'm just, I'm just writing it like a weird little sci-fi D&D game. And you know what? Hence why I've been reading a bunch of manuals. 
I've been reading a bunch of like Shadowrun manuals, some third-party manuals that Dylan gave me, uh, some other earlier manuals from earlier versions of D&D just to get my bearings on this. And I think I've actually done somewhat of a good job with that. Um, have the overarching theme a little bit more solidified than probably even my that buddy. Is, that is quite a thing. What a, what a tale. My God. The twists and turns here. <laughs> I, I apologize for breaking your brain on this. But <laughs> you, you certainly did. Now, this is this is one of the few times where I'm not going to get upset about someone doing a non-D&D setting with the D&D rule set. Um, because I, I guess the characters would cross over and, and could be in different games, kind of West March style. So, uh, because I, I would normally, I would be very upset that you're not just running it in shadow run or, or something that is more appropriate or made for a cyberpunk setting. But I assume you're using D and D for this. Yes. Yes. I, I tried making it more of a shadow run kind of thing, but it was, uh, it was shot down. So Oh, this is the, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. Cause this is how we lose the whole episode to angry man rants about, uh, people. All right. So this, this has been fantastic. So we're talking about off the rails today and, and we've already gotten there just so much more efficiently than, than I ever thought we would. Um, I, I'm honestly, I, this is, I'm, I'm totally seeding my, my news and noteworthy time. You guys have, have given us more than enough to, to talk about for that. So we're just going to move on to our discussion. Listen to me very carefully. It's the discussion. Bro, what are you talking about, man? Listen up. I kind of wanted to ask you guys, have, do you have any stories about campaigns that have gone off the rails and and i can start here if you guys uh kind of want to think about it a little you bit mean aside from the one i just told you well yeah that one i think <laughs> you can't go off the rails if you're starting on neptune um i think would be my response to that i don't think there are any rails there and i think maybe off the rails isn't even the best term I could have chosen because people think about railroading and then trying to avoid railroading. And if it's going off the rails, isn't that a good thing? Uh, in this case, what I mean is, is games that have gone out of control, things that have happened to shift you so far away from whatever the original intent, uh, plot theming, you know, the, the basic structure of the game that, that you or the GM has, uh, you know, worked to, um, maintain and, and to, to introduce. And so the, the first time that I really had a game go off the rails was D and D 3.5. And this was a long game. This is probably one of the longest games I ever ran. And it was during high school and we played, Oh God, I can't even think about the number of hours we put into this, this game. And it was fine. Everything was fine. Until my buddy, uh, Ted, is not his name, but Ted. we'll call him Ted to, pr to protect the guilty. Ted. And uh, he was he was a mage, and he had summoning spells. And they were uh, they were at this elemental temple at the center of the world, um, and they were basically the the elemental guardians wanted a sacrifice. They didn't specify. Uh, what kind of sacrifice? And in my my puny little brain, my my dummy thick brain, I thought my players would offer up some some item of value to them, right? Because they didn't have anything 
practical to sacrifice, right? There wasn't just, you know, they didn't just have like a bunch of, of, of tied up people that they were just like, here, take these people. Um, but my character or my player, he, uh, decided that he was going to have a little shuffle through the monster manual because he, he could summon. And of all the things he chose or could have chosen, he chose to summon and then sacrifice a celestial <gasps> hippogriff. No. Yeah. So the issue with, with that was that this is a lawful good creature from, I'm pretty sure like the plane of either good or law or something. It, it's, it's a um, oh, very, no. yeah, it, lawful good and stuff. And this wasn't an evil party. Not yet. And uh, they, yeah, they they chose to to make the and none of the other characters said mum about it, right? They didn't they didn't raise a fuss, and I'm just like I you know I did the DM thing, I did the thing. Are you sure about this? Are you are you sure that this is what you want to do? And he's like, yeah, I summoned it specifically for this purpose. And what could I do, right? I said okay, and. Uh, so he he did it. He just murdered that poor, poor hippogriff and um, then was surprised when his alignment took a turn for the worse. <laughs> and this was back. And I, I, I don't remember the rules because uh, it was a thousand years ago. But I, I think there was either a check that you had to make or I, I don't know if it was entirely on my discretion. I don't think it was because I don't think I would have knocked his ass down to, to evil because uh, I think he started at chaotic good and... Um, yeah, just worked his way down quick. But I thought what might happen, again, dummy thick, dummy thick brain here, non-functional, purely decorative brain of mine, was just like, okay, well, you know what? I've I've given them, I, I've put this stain on the party, right? So now, I what I thought might happen was they might try to atone for this, this, this crime. I just hear if anybody remembers that old Bubsy cartoon. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, honestly, it, it wasn't great. Um, so what what happened to make a long story slightly less long was they embraced it with fervor that I have rarely seen. And all of a sudden I had a gleefully evil party on my hands. The heel turn was, you know, like Vince McMahon would have said, <laughs> guys, this is a little unbelievable, right? <laughs> And then I had to kind of pivot to being like, okay, well, what can what can we do now for this this party? Because the the players they were into it, right? Like they they had that taste of 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 villainy, and they were just like, oh, actually, we want to do this. And so things got crazier and crazier from there, and. The the plot that I had just got totally thrown out the window. They started fighting with, I think, the church, many churches, I, at least the Church of Paylor, maybe St. Cuthbert as well. Uh, you know, they, they were being hunted by paladins. They tried to set up an evil lair. Like, it, it went so far off that at, at one point I was just like, okay, I need like a some kind of climactic thing to, to finish this. And... One of the the players was just like, I wanna, I wanna become like a demon lord. Like, I wanna go to hell and like take over a slice of it. And I was just like, 
okay, I guess that's a thing we could do. And so I, I ended up making this entire like map of my own kind of underworld hell type of thing with all with planned out, you know, demon lords that ruled over certain areas and stuff. And and um, I think it got to the point that I, I kind of I introduced all of this. And then there was just kind of a group consensus of. I think we've gone too far. I don't think we can do this <laughs> Are anymore. Are we the baddies? I, like. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was so it had gotten so ridiculous that they even they were just like, you know what? I think we've gone far enough. And and so I just kind of we just kind of wrapped it up after that that big climactic battle without them going to, you know, going to adventure in hell or anything. And uh, and, and so we stopped it there. But that was really my first taste of, well, that escalated quickly. Right. It, it was just. It was a normal, you know, adventured around, having good times, and all of a sudden you, you sacrifice one celestial hippogriff, and the world goes mad. At the core of that, Nathan, I see I see the lesson. Never assume you think you know what the players will do. Oh, no. True. No. It will never be what you think in a million years, mm-hmm. and you will your mouth will be agape at just the sheer buffoonery that takes place in front of you. <laughs> Honestly, it's probably the one, if you take away one thing from all of these episodes, if you've been listening to each of our episodes, that's probably the lesson for any GM listening or DM or or storyteller, whatever you are. Uh, Never think you know what the players will do. You don't. And the moment you think you're, like the moment you're at your most confident is when they will destroy everything you love. Yeah. So, (laughs) wow. Just... (laughs) That was a wow. Take it under advisement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what about you guys? Where, like, where, where were you when, uh, when you learned, when you learned these lessons? It's funny you bring up hell, because I know I've told you to this story, but uh, just in case, I'll reiterate it. In case we have anyone coming on here brand new, uh, I had this very typical Forgotten Realms first campaign ever, baby's first campaign, also in high school with my buddies. Typical high fantasy. We had a we had a pirate captain. Uh, we had like a, like a, this cleric of coin. We had this lawful paladin. Just your all your tropes. Check 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 check. And anyway, they got through this big campaign with giants and this upheaval of a great empire. And afterwards, I took a little break and I I recently played a Doom game. And I had a bright idea. I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if they went to hell? And so instead of the players shaping and shifting the game to go completely another direction tonally, it was me. I did that. Me, the game master. I I got so obsessed with this idea that I'm like, this is happening. And I'm like, their soul curse is anyone who died is dying again. And you got to go to hell and go to the soul well and fix it. And it was just. I could kind of tell after a while, like, they're not having fun. They're not having fun, are they? And this idea is kind of wearing out. And I, I checked in with them. And that's that's another big lesson you can take away from any of these episodes. Talk to your players. It's easy. And I just said, like, hey, guys, are you really having fun? No. No, we're not, Dylan. We kind of miss going. We miss, like, going shopping and, like, on the high seas. I'm like, okay. Okay. And I, 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 I'm like, how do I get them out of hell? You know what? You want kooky? Let's go on a silly spell jammer, you know, astral sea, get back to the material plane. They had some little, like, because hell is very 
very dreary, very down, very like, you're suffering, you're gonna die. So the space hippos with guns meet you and help you fight aliens. And you go back to the material plane and fight dragons. It's short, simple. I'm 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 not gonna go too elaborate, but I could I could tell that things were getting out of hand, and I went back to basics. And and now I know probably not best to overstep. Why fix when I broke, you know? Yeah. It's it's a worthwhile story in that not only did you cause the problem, uh, but you you also went back and and made it right afterwards, which is is nice because a lot of times we only really see those problems in retrospect after a game has has stalled out or you know fallen apart that kind of thing so it's it's nice that you're you were able to get your players kind of back to the track that they wanted to be on um which ne- wasn't necessarily your own i'm such a long con thinker like I, I think i think years in advance and our first campaign went on a year and a half and this was our second one with the same characters high level and I had, I had, they were on the first layer of hell. I'm like, you're going to go to the second layer and the third layer. And it's going to have this big climactic. And it's like, if you not having fun on the first one, there ain't no point in going through to the other two. And despite, you know, this is the first time I ever got art commissioned. I was, I was into this idea, but the general table wasn't. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do it. And luckily I managed, I managed to salvage that and reel it back in. So I don't actually have a story of my own that I haven't told yet about things going off the rails, per se. The people turning on each other in my buddy's campaign that I was talking about earlier, that was that went pretty haywire on that. Because <laughs> I was talking with my buddy on this beforehand because I wanted to know, like, oh, what do you have planned for these players? And it's like, well, these guys can essentially, you know, like pick a side. Um, You know, you can can side with the kooky professor. You can side with his evil robot that wants to kill people. And, you know, you can shape the world from there. Uh, And he didn't account for, you know, the party splitting and killing each other. Wait, what if they chose choose different sides? Different sides. <laughs> I just imagine the eyes wide like, oh no. How did I not see this coming? <laughs> oh yeah. Like it was it was a horrifying revelation being like, oh no. Nobody nobody expected that. And by the end of it, the entire campaign <laughs> the entire campaign, the two shot that it was uh all of it kind of got destroyed anyways the whole setting the whole lab was destroyed no other experiments uh were left untouched but that that was probably the biggest like off the rails moment for that but i also think that i might have caused some off the rails moments what you never with with the, with the character choices you make? No, I can't see it. Can't see it. <laughs> hey, those were approved. All right, Dylan approved those. <laughs> Doesn't make it right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I most certainly have uh, caused some issues for my DMs in the past, and and without even realizing it either. And that's just because one time there was a lack of communication, I guess. 
between myself and the DM. One of my favorite characters that I played, my old Goliath monk. I, I probably told the story, you know, in a way, but I want to flesh it out. Oh, this was the the one where you there was a whole the whole bunch of plot points set up for for this character around this tournament. And it turned out that the the DM didn't actually want you to go down that path at all and but didn't know how to get you back on. Yes. And was just like, "Um, actually none of this matters." Yes. And uh and as a result, the DM suffered for that. And he kind of he kind of broke in that way, uh, and took a break after that, because he was like, at, at the end, he just didn't know how to deal with the choices that I made, because he wasn't accounting for it. I guess Darcy just casually admitting to just just destroying a man's mind with his uh, <laughs> with his character. I, I believe I mean, it. Yeah, I believe it. I don't know. When you think of a curse, like your first instinct is to break it, right? I guess. I mean, I think they, I don't want to be cursed. I don't want to be cursed either. So yeah, I, I, I actually having heard the story, and I, I believe we did tell it either on the second or third episode, maybe something along those um, lines. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, it, it got out of hand. It's it's the Millhouse meme. Like it it started falling over, falling over, and then it fell over. But your DM is Millhouse here and he's just watching it. And he just doesn't know what to do. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, he definitely could have handled that that better. But uh, hopefully he um, he comes back to to DMing. You haven't you haven't completely destroyed the man. As of this uh, recording, we still actually haven't reconvened for that particular campaign okay, yet. Okay, well, uh- <laughs> maybe something something fresh might be a better idea for when he comes back. I think it just speaks to, and this is kind of the thing with with going off the rails, is there are some players that kind of like to push that envelope, right? And you're definitely one of them. And that that can really... So I, I have to say this. I, I am the most in-the-box player in the world. If you, give me, if you give me a setting and you give me a world, I'm going to try and integrate myself so fully into that world that I I can be a believable character in the world. I I want to play in that sandbox, right? I want to I want to explore everything that box has to offer. And then there's players like Darcy who go to the edge of the box and it's like what if I what if I push this box a little bit? What happens? And it's you're not doing it out of malice, right? It's not, not it's just all. like that's where your interest lies. It's just like what about the edges? Like what what is what is over beyond the sandbox, right? And it's, you kind of have to think about when you're planning a game is, are your players like me or do you have people who are going to kind of stress test your system? Uh, I believe Dylan had a good quote for how he handled that, uh, saying that he's a fortress yes. comes to it y- yes, and that he thinks he has all his bases covered. Well, it's funny. You you both paint yourselves as polar opposites. Yet you are my two shining players in a, in, in a game. I'm soon I guess to come so. Back. Yeah, I welcome it. I welcome I welcome Darcy's challenge, and I, I I welcome how in depth you get, Nathan, with with setting down in your sandbox and my sandbox, your sandbox and my sandbox sandboxception. Whoa, <laughs> that's a lot of sand. 
I hate it. I don't it. like sand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. All right. I should have known that was coming. All right. You set it up. Come on now. I did. I, that was a T-ball. That was a T-ball setup. <laughs> but, you know, Dylan, you raise a good point. You have such polar opposite kind of styles in how they play their characters with myself and Nathan. Uh, how do you deal with that? I mean, for myself, I like to, you know, I'll do one of two things. I'll be an, I, I like to be an outsider trying to integrate themselves into the world, or I'll be an insider looking to break out of the world. Well, there's opportunity for both, because at the end of the day, not ev- every player at the table has a different reason for being there, and you're never going to find a, like, a real actual group that 100% all has the same aligned goal. You have general, like, yeah, you can get behind the same general idea, but the specifics of it, the nitty-gritty, very different. And so at that point, depends who's the spotlight on is at the time. And when there's only two people, it's very easy to shine the spotlight to have each of you get your fill of what you're here for. And I think you're doing a pretty good job of that so far. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to see. I, and it should also be said that not only are we opposites in in kind of how we like to play in the sandbox and, and design our characters, but also what we're looking for out of a game tends to be somewhat Actually, opposite too. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, because I know, Darcy, you really enjoy combat. You really enjoy those those kind of big, you know, set piece, those fights, those that kind of thing. Whereas I would ha- happily just talk i would happily just talk in in character for hours on end and and discuss plot things and do little investigations and and find out things about the setting like that's that's all i really want to do so it's it it is interesting and it is it's always that balancing act dylan you do a really good job at it and i think that may that might be trying to kind of bring it back to to our discussion here I, i think maybe that's part of the reason why you can see games go off the rails is if you forget or can't cater to the play style of your players, whether that's one of your players or all of your players, right? Because I think a lot of the times when when things go weird or silly, it's because someone maybe isn't as engaged because they they haven't had that time to shine or they they feel like, you know, I made a I made a walking fortress of a character and all we're doing is talking politics at the palace, right? Like I, I just want to hit something or just the opposite of it, right? Like why I I'm, I'm a diplomat. Why am I uh, on level four of this goblin dungeon? Um, so I, I think maybe if you're, if you're having that, or if you, if you feel like the game is on its way or you have kind of a problem player that is getting you to the point where you're thinking, oh, this is this is getting a little weird. It's getting a little out of control. Maybe it's it's just the fact that they're a little bored because they they haven't been able to 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 do what it says on the tin. Bored players, and especially bored new players, are quite dangerous because the the etiquette of the game isn't entirely grown on them. So they'll just think, I'll do what I want. Well, okay. I want to fight things. I go fight this guy. It's like, what? The random, like, counselor? You're just going to beat him up? Yeah, why not? Why can't I? I do that. And they realize, and that kind of, you know, that, that, that if you go, that goes unchecked. That breeds a terrible habit and a terrible play style. 
but then then if, and that if you're a new dm you're you feel like oh but this is my friend i have to facilitate that right that's the point and the other players at the table go what no he was gonna give us a deal and he's dead he died he died he's like yeah i got my blood it feels so good it's awesome and that continues and spirals and now your political intrigue game where one player made the wrong character, there was a miscommunication, becomes a bloodbath and, a, and an on-the-run escape. And now, it's off the rails. Yeah. And that's... I mean, this has probably happened to a, a, a thousand, thousand campaigns out there. Um, the the idea of kind of the, the, the player going rogue uh, due to lack of engagement or, or other just sheer boredom or... or Maybe the fact that they're they're just not cut out for this game, and I know we've we've had episodes that before talking about you know how to plan a game, which is find the right players for your setting and for the type of game you want to run. Um, like if Dylan's doing a a mega dungeon for his buddies at high level, as much as I love playing with Dylan, that's not going to be a game for me, and that's not a game that Dylan's going to think, oh, hey, I should invite Nathan to this. It might be something that he might invite Darcy to, but just having that wherewithal to know the people that you're playing with and not, you can't always do that, of course, right? There's always that, that first time where you're with a bunch of randos, uh, you know, if your friends don't play, if you're young and you don't have an established group or if you're new to a place and you're just trying to, to meet people, right? If you're going out to do the D&D Adventurers League or a random game at a random uh, local hobby store, it is going to be what it is, right? But hopefully you can use those as ways to kind of suss out and make friends and, and find people that, that want to play the way that you want to play. And something I want to add on to that is just to set expectations for what kind of game it's going to be. Always. The most important thing. <laughs> the most, <laughs> Absolutely. Because, yeah. like, yeah, you if you set those expectations beforehand, then that lessens the chance of somebody creating a murder hobo in a political intrigue campaign or a, or a diplomat within that bloodbath of a dungeon crawl. When, when I was younger, um, kind of in my high school and university days, there was a friend of mine, same friend who sacrificed the celestial hippogriff. Ted? He, he made... He made one character, one character uh, that we we kind of as a group, we sussed out. And this is between multiple games. All of his characters would have the same kind of feel to it. And we eventually named this archetypical character Guns McSplody. <laughs> and you could always count on him to make some form of this character. And, and the, the name should give you a hint of, of what he was up to and into. Right. Like it was this was the guy that and he he honestly he came by it honestly, uh, which was part of his charm was it was just that he didn't set out always to make these characters, but it was always the character he made. You know what? It kind of reminds me the name just just reminds me of that <laughs> that one Daniel Radcliffe uh, uh, screen cap with uh, from the movie Guns Akimbo, if anybody's seen that. That's <laughs> I love that movie. Great movie. <laughs> That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah. And so for him, what, what we should have done is we should have very been very selective about what games 
we involve him in. But we're a tight-knit friend group, right? So it's it's not like you want to ostracize anybody. And like several of us all lived in the same apartment together. So it wasn't even like you could get away with it, really. And um, so, you know, we, we, we of course, it invited him to everything. And there was always a moment in every game where Guns McSplody would come out and you'd just, you'd just be there with your head in your hand being like, we, we were so close. We were so close to doing this in a sane way. Why did you have to do that? And <laughs> it, it, the, the stories like the, the kind of the rogue player aspect of it comes back in the fact that he wasn't trying. He wasn't trying to derail these games. He wasn't trying to steal. It was just the God's honest, terrible decision-making skills that, that he possessed. And sometimes that's going to be it. And sometimes you're going to have to select whether your game is appropriate for certain players who may lack any shred of common sense. I actually have a story in that vein. Um, so there was this five shot that, uh, that one of my buddies ran. Um, I was, um, and so it was like a prison break kind of thing. Right. But, um, the crew that was assembled had very different goals from one another. Uh, and it ended up kind of splitting into factions in a, in a way there was, there was my character that, you know, wanted to sow chaos and cause a prison riot, uh, as a distraction to, you know, get the hell okay. out. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Kill the warden in the end, you know? Okay. You know what? As as a distraction and like as a, a that is very well reasoned. If your only goal is to just distraction escape prison, but then there was also the other side of things where another group wanted to, you know, uh, wanted to schmooze all the different kind of prison groups uh, and like bring them together uh, to like unite them in this in this front uh to have this hatch this whole machiavellian plan to take over the prison every every step that one person would make would be a step backwards for the other person so we were always at odds right down to the point where the actual final battle happened and and uh we ended up at a complete split by the end, just kind of doing our own things. And it threw the DM off quite a bit on that. Uh, but to the point that after this five shot had ended, uh, there was a point where it's like, well, now you guys are all fugitives. You're all free to go, as it were. Warden's dead. Uh, the prison's in ruins. And you've got an army at, uh, at your side. What do you want to do? And we just went our separate ways. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> One person took off with a group of uh with a group of, you know, political allies that he made, and the other person stayed in the prison and is uh and <laughs> tried to, you know. One person went off to one person went off to try and unite the nation now, being free, using this as kind of the inciting incident. And the other person decided, I'm going to make a criminal empire <laughs> and uh, cause chaos throughout the nation. And uh, that was me. 
<laughs> okay. That was my <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Yeah, we probably should have seen that twist coming. Yeah. yeah. Again, when when my <laughs> I I when I I rolled for like a sub kind of nation a sub kind of architect archetype that I wanted to be because I wanted to pick like from the different regions of this little place. And so I'm like I got like, you know, a very chaotic and drug heavy place. So I essentially, you know what? I'm going to be a Florida man, I guess. I mean, if, if, if that's not goals, I don't know what goals look like, quite frankly. Yeah. But like, it's interesting how this whole thing devolved into two completely separate campaigns that we're doing that want nothing to do with one another because of our experiences in this prison. That's definitely a thing that can happen if your players don't jive. And sometimes it makes for good drama. Yeah, there there's a, a sweet spo- spot in the level of conflict between characters, right? And and the the way I'd the way I'd maybe put this is in movie terms, where your characters it's fine for characters to be at odds as long as they're still moving in basically the same direction at the same time, right? Like you, you kind of have to, you're, you're, you don't like each other, but you're, you got to get through the film (laughs) basically. Um, yeah, it's tough. I always, I do my best to always stay away from any kind of PVP aspects in any games that I run, uh, because I've never seen a scenario in which it works out well, (laughs) Um, your that example is interesting because what I see it is setting up a really good, so that campaign, okay, goes off the rails. Nobody wants, like none of these characters want to have anything to do with each other anymore, but each of them have grandiose goals. So it'd be really easy to, if you wanted to kind of reset in this world is to, to kind of set it in the future after the effects of this this prison break are set, and then maybe some of those characters come back as antagonists or allies or contacts, right? Um, you know, you you have to go to n- New Fantasy Florida to do a you know do a shady deal with uh, with Darcy, um, and I, I think that'd be really cool. I've, I've I've had that before, where characters where you just you don't really know what to do with them, you you don't you retire them as kind of player characters, but you keep them in the setting and they can come up later on. And it's kind of a respectful way to, to deal with characters where you're just like, I, I, what do I do with you? Right? Like I can't, you don't fit anymore, but I like you, right? Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to rocks fall, kill this character, but it's not going to work going forward. So I, I think that's a, an option for, for players and for GMs. Um, speaking of kind of options, when your game is at, once you've, you've reached the brink, you're, you're hanging on, you've got the one little pinky finger below you is the, the precipice of failed games. Um, you're, you're at the edge of glory, hanging on a moment of truth. How do you bring a game back from the edge? And, and you've both kind of given me some, some good examples there. I guess the first one being talk to your players slash talk to your GM is is probably the absolute best advice because a lot of times people are, I don't want to say too polite, 
but you don't necessarily want to go up to the to the person who is spending hours, you know, and and having you over to their house and designing this game and 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 really trying to run a nice experience for you. You don't want to go up to them and being like, "So this is getting kind of stupid, right?" Like, you think so too? <laughs> you, you can you can see where people are are reluctant to do that, but sometimes it's necessary. You don't always have to go up and say, "Hey, this is dumb." dummy um but you can you can do it in a nicer way being like so we've kind of strayed from the path right like each day we stray further from god um and that is this campaign so yeah beyond that where do you guys see kind of opportunities for people to to salvage campaigns or do you think there is a real point of no return and you should just forget about it try something else well I'll never let go. If I'm ever at that point, and I never have been, uh, where a game is really about to go, I'm not letting go. And so, in my opinion, one of the better things to do is not tough it out, is not sit there and like, no, we got it, come on. I think when you're at that point, take a break. Have someone else get on the wheel, be in the driver's seat, come back with a fresh perspective, and hopefully... You can really assess the damages of what's gone on and put in the work, the legwork to uh, to remedy it. And you can you can be sure when it comes back, it'll come back with a bang, with a hook, and you'll finally be able to have a have a higher note to that end than something that would be like uh, what happened with uh, with your first example there, Nathan, where it's just kind of like okay this kind of we're done with this you know we we're, yeah. we're too evil now i think we're yeah. done <laughs> i could i could never that would break my heart and so i would rather i'd rather leave it in suspended animation and pray for the day you raise an interesting point there um because like sometimes the best thing to do is to take a break like my one poor dm who i ended up breaking the poor guy uh took a long break and then started doing something else started playing as a as a player rather than as a as a dm and then started making another campaign for something else just to step away get a fresh perspective um just to do something different that he wasn't super stressed about um and sometimes that is the best option cuz in reality with the game, no matter what it is, if something's gone off the rails, ultimately you have two options. You could continue or you can quit. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Sure, you could take a break. That's an option, but that's still ultimately continuing. So you gotta ask yourself, like, can I continue this? If I come back from a break, how would I continue this? And from that point, if you find that you just can't, whether you're a DM or a player, maybe sometimes you just gotta step out. And, and if you're a player, that might mean talking it over with your DM, you know, like having a little epilogue for your character. Or if you're a DM, just like, you know, find a, find a way to end it tactfully. But ultimately, if not everybody's having fun, if you're not having fun, you got to ask why and you got to 
and you got to see if you can fix that uh, by talking to your players, by taking a break, maybe rewriting a bunch of stuff that you thought you could uh, you could integrate, but just somehow it ended up going awry or something of the sort. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But it really varies from person to person whether or not uh, whether or not you actually can continue a game at all. I applaud you, Dylan, for being that kind of, you know, I'm not going to give up kind of person. What you're saying is honest advice. It's realistic advice. It's practical advice. But to me, that's quitter talk. I don't quit, <laughs> and you don't quit either. <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, that's our mad wizard. <laughs> if there's one thing from that, and I, I it's all good points, Darcy. If there's one thing that I can jump on from that, it's that you do need to when when you've you've reached this point, is do that little bit of detective work, right? Kind of ask yourself, okay, how did we get here, right? Um and, and see if it if it was is it yeah, is it rogue board players? Is it uh, something else entirely? Did you did one or more people kind of misjudge how the game, you know, was was originally intended uh, in terms of setting, in terms of feel, and and that kind of thing? Because it's when you come right down to it, when a, a game goes out of, off of the the rails like this, it's usually miscommunication, right? somebody's not getting something and it could be like, yeah, a new player like Dylan mentioned earlier, a new player that just doesn't really know that they shouldn't be a murder hobo all the time. Um, and, and maybe they weren't set up in, in the right way to succeed. Or maybe it's, maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's something a little bit that, that takes a little bit more digging to, to kind of figure out, but yeah, it's always worthwhile whenever you find yourself hanging off of that precipice, just kind of take a moment and be like, how did we get here? Like, wh when, when did this happen? <laughs> um, because you, you, might get, you might get surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, and sometimes with that, it's like, well, I just kind of thought of this. Maybe the next, maybe the example, maybe the best option is to, you know, make separate campaigns, keep the characters like go off in two different directions with two different groups. Maybe that's an option that you could do as well. And that way nobody's stuck in the same kind of tone. And that way you get a little more experience with that too. I just thought that maybe that's like, like my, like my buddy did with, with us there. It's a good one. Especially if you've, if you've got the time for it, I, I look at that and I'm like, that sounds like twice the work for me. I'm not signing up for that. I will, however, design it and then foist it on you if that's cool. Yeah, 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 there you I go. Will, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I will. I will start a game. I will. I will drive it right off a cliff, and then I'll just hand you all of my notes and be like, "All right, Darcy, looking forward to next session." <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, if you're listening to this, that one friend, I st you're still awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I will still do this. <laughs> oh my god. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break and then when we come back, it's the challenge. What's that? Robot blood. <laughs> <laughs> 
I always knew the industrial age would end in chaos. Be sure to tell the young woman that mother sends regards. Good night, campers. You are trespassing on SeaWorld property. What if these things can read our minds? They're gonna be awful mad when they get to me. Welcome to the Video Cult. We're dedicated to bringing to light some of the most weird and wonderful movies you've ever, or never, seen. Dead teenagers' brains. Jamal, what's, what's really in there? Dead teenagers' brains. Cult classics, B-movie masterpieces, diamonds in the rough. Join Josh, Gabrielle, and myself, Nathan, for deep dives and scene-by-scene -scene breakdowns of these entertaining cinematic oddities. Are you wearing a condom? What? No, I didn't think so. Well, this is a safe sex zone, sir. So you're gonna have to move along. The first three episodes drop July 19th everywhere you get podcasts. Welcome to the cult. Dust off that VCR and don't forget your popcorn. Thank you. Have a nice day. Are you challenging me? Challenge me, It's really hard. The challenge. Are you up for it? Welcome back. It's time for the challenge. We have a fun one this week. It's a, it's a bit of a doozy. I, I think so anyway. And uh, this one is called Four Flumps in a Trench Coat. This is one of my challenges. And uh, <laughs> for this one, we had to create a character for use in a fantasy setting. And they must have the following traits. Number one, the character must not be who they appear to be. Number two, the character must have a way to keep their real identity hidden. Number three, the revelation of the character's secret identity must have serious repercussions for them and or the party and or the game. And number four, the character must have a tell, something about them that hints at their true nature. So I believe we had a uh, volunteer for tribute. Me, 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 yes. me, 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 me. <laughs> All right. So, Dylan, what have you what have you made for us? I loved the idea of this challenge, but it, but it, but it stumped me a bit creatively. And finally, something hit me. You know, as as all things creatively taken from a million different sources. So, if if the audience finds any similarities between this and some of my interest, shh. No, you don't. If you see something, no, you didn't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, here we have uh, Wynn Silvergrove, a local guard clad in knightly armor. Since childhood, Wynn has had a need to take. Take food, trinkets, little knickknacks, things around the house, appliances, and even lives. First, it was small, insects, and maybe a bird or two. But as she grew older, her victims became larger and larger. The neighbor's mastiff went missing last week and never returned. Surely it wasn't the quiet guardswoman next door, right? Wynne's acts of depravity have spiraled out of control. And as we come to the start of the adventure with this character, she took her own mother's life. Now, she uses that death as an excuse to pardon herself from her duties and seek happenings on the road, or in other towns. She understands that what she does is morally and socially unacceptable, but her primal urges need to be satiated. 
Wynn will never harm another PC, but her ire will be drawn to NPCs throughout the game and in the night. In the light of day, she is a stoic set of armor, that knight, that fighter, that person who deflects sword blow or arrows away from you and into the enemy. But when the sun sets, or the cravings grow, she doffs her armor and slinks in the dark, quiet as a mouse, quick as the wind. I'd like to think that as the party goes through their adventures and they pass through towns or nearby settlements, posters come up, missing posters or uh, uh, accounts from town criers of strange happenings. Uh, and, and I'd like to think that um, if you ever double back on these, the party might be able to put two and two together. Uh, her tell, of course, is uh, a bit unconventional. And it's the, uh, this gauntlet she wears on her knife hand. It's the first piece of armor she ever got uh, from her duties back in her hometown. And it is never washed. It is stained with every victim and every deed. And even if she uh, gets a new set of armor, or even at night when she doffs it, she keeps the gauntlet as it comes down and takes another life. Eventually that's going to become less of a tell and more of like... You know, this blatantly obvious thing like, oh, my gauntlet is covered in the blood of my victims. Uh, Well, here's the thing. (laughs) You're with a party of adventurers. They would have no reason to draw concern. You kill things all the time. Rats, goblins, bandits. So what if she's not great on cleaning the rest of her armor? Uh, Yeah, imagine though, imagine learning that that comrade that, you know, would take a take an arrow for you it is suddenly this murderous psychopath in the night how would you feel <laughs> legitimately a fantasy serial killer yep yeah but i love that that's <laughs> no it's really good honestly this is this is almost i think a more disturbing take on vampirism because she's she's doing kind of the same thing, right? She's going out at night. She's leading this secret double life. She she is compelled, willed to to do this by by these urges she can't control. And but there's something far more disturbing about knowing that she isn't supernatural. The, the, yeah, the character the character I find more scary. Because she is just a regular person. This is a fantastic character. Thanks. What, like, what would you even, like, what a revelation to drop on a party, right? Especially if this is, you know, if she is kind of the, the, the tank, the protector, the, the one that's, you know, first into the fight and probably the comrade, her comrades all love her for it kind of thing. And then, you wake up one night in an inn or something and she's gone and you're just like, uh-oh, like what? Has something bad happened to her and go out and oh boy. I like to think that if anyone like shared a room with her, she'd leave the suit, either laying in the bed <gasps> or standing there and people would either think they're she's looming over them or she's just, she's weird and she sleeps in her armor. Oh, that's, that's so much, that's so much worse. I, I can't stress enough. Would not kill a PC. That's not in her agenda. Although she has these urges, she understands that these people are better alive to her and that there are there's prey elsewhere. 
she's not stupid. She's a psychopath. Exactly. If this person were in, you know, like a web series or a cartoon, she would be like the... I can fix her character that everybody would that everybody would latch on to, you know, whatever the female equivalent of a Tumblr sexy man is or something oh, like that. Sorcy. That is not a waifu you want. Don't do it. But you know that there's people oh, out I there do. that would I, be into that shit. A hundred percent, Darcy. You are one hundred percent correct, and I still say do not. Do not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would not. Uh, yeah. No. No, nope. that's all I got. <laughs> bravo, <laughs> bravo, yes, very bravo, well done. Dylan. That was uh, very disturbing. Definitely mm-hmm. not what I expected. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, I, I guess I'm gonna. Yeah, do you want to try and follow up on that? But and succeed. You're gonna try and succeed. Maybe not give people nightmares the same way Dylan has, but you know, <laughs> definitely the the empty suit of armor either looming over you or just lying like in the bed next to you. No, no thanks. Mm. No thanks. I know I switch up my writing style quite a bit in this series so far. Uh, So now I have just a a third-person origin story for you. Disobedience means damnation, but for thy faith I shalt offer thee penance. One year shalt thou remain in the mortal realm. Reveal thyself not to any mortal eyes, and thy sins shalt be forgiven. But heed this warning. If mortal eyes doth fall upon thy true visage, then eternity in hell awaits thee, and death for the observer. These were the last words Soline heard before being cast out of her celestial paradise. And yet, she was thankful. Her divine lord had given her a second chance. All it required was for her to hide her angelic form for a year. How hard could it be to curl up in some cave and hide from the world? But alas, her curiosity had gotten the better of her. That same curiosity that got her kicked out of heaven to begin with. She finally had the chance to walk among mortals freely without punishment, and she was thinking of wasting away in some cave? No. She wanted to see how mortals lived firsthand. Although being stripped of most of her angelic powers meant that it wasn't going to be easy to blend in, she couldn't simply turn invisible or use any sort of mass-blinding spell to get past, no, no. But she could conjure a few minor things, like clothing. So she spent the next few days crafting her disguise. Before her banishment, she observed curious creatures known as merchants, wrapped in thick layers of multicolored cloth and carrying large, heavy bags on their backs. They were the perfect inspiration for her disguise. Ah, but the halo. Right, that would be tricky. She needed a big enough covering for her head to hide it properly. So carefully, she focused on conjuring a hat, envisioning it taller and taller and taller still, until even the glow of her halo was completely invisible. With her disguise complete, 
She couldn't help but want a glimpse of her new facade. She found a small spring to look into, and... She looked ridiculous. So ridiculous that no one would possibly suspect her of being anything but an eccentric merchant girl. It was brilliant! Now it was time to mingle with the mortals. But the words of the Holy Father still lingered in her mind. Don't let anyone discover your true form. But all she had to do was never take the bag or hat off in the presence of others. Ah, another conundrum. Sleeping with the giant bag and hat might be uncomfortable. Perhaps she would just need to make sure she had a solitary room to herself with very dark curtains. The more she thought about it, the more complex her predicament came. So she stopped thinking about it and gallivanted into town, eager to partake in the culture of those that held her intrigue for so long. So. <laughs> Darcy. <laughs> wow, what a, what a wonderful tonal shift. This is what I wanted. Yes. <laughs> I have I have whimsical whiplash between these two stories. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. Yeah. This is great. I love it. Yeah, so this is this is Soline. She's a she's a silly little girl. Um <laughs> We should have named this episode uh, playing the role Strange Waifus edition. Like it's just this is what we were doing apparently. Oh my god. Out of all the people that say that, I didn't expect it from your mouth. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah, this is this is a great this is almost a great comic relief character with with like devastating consequences for for someone who like who just like like tiptoes and like what is under that hat? Yeah. Obliteration. Exactly. You know, like, oh, why does she always sleep in that in a separate room from anybody else? I can't see through it. And if someone were to listen in uh, into her room, they might just hear the sounds of her praying in her celestial tongue and be even more curious at that point. But if anybody were to uh, find out her true form, down to hell she goes instantly and... uh, divine divine hosts will come to obliterate people that's that's wow okay. I, I love that juxtaposition it is the serious biblical yeah. consequences <laughs> this big silly hat yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah it's it is really old testament meets dr seuss <laughs> Floppy stovepipe hat. (laughs) Now, have you have you considered what her great sin was, or do you do you just leave that as a as a bit of a like it doesn't really matter at this point? Just well, I leave it uh, I leave it ambiguous, but in uh, but in my in your head, I pictured it. Yes, the way I pictured it is um, is that um, it's kind of taking in the uh 
the myth of Prometheus in a way. She she got too close to the mortals and okay. uh, provided assistance when she was otherwise forbidden to. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a and, classic uh, one. And no one should look upon the visage of angels and live. So that's where that came from. Darcy, <laughs> you love your fish out of water, man. I... <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't even I didn't even catch that. Of course, yeah. She's not even from this realm. Oh my god. What is this strange utensil here? What is this? That's a spoon. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, spoon. I didn't even think of that when making this character, goddammit. Subconscious. <laughs> I think nature. Darcy in his last life wrote The Little Mermaid. Like the Disney version. He's a this dinglehopper. That's what it's called. <laughs> Look at this stuff. Isn't it yes. neat? Oh my, oh my goodness. <laughs> All of your characters are Ariel. I love it. No, I can't unsee it now. <laughs> but I just wanted to make a silly little gal. And it's silly. <laughs> and yeah, she is silly, except for, of course, the biblical obliteration. Uh, should anyone yeah. find out her secret. <laughs> exactly. The way I pictured it is like, you know, if that one character gets a little too curious and Suddenly he he peers in it's like and suddenly seeing her disappear, like suddenly that person might second guess being a little too curious. And and then, of course, uh, you know, you could go and that could trigger request right there. You could go to hell, save your wife, who, as it were, or you can. Or Giant, like, big hatted <laughs> angel <laughs> wife. God <Or> damn. <laughs> Well, Nathan, you <laughs> I, look, look at what I have to follow here. Okay, sure. All right, let's do this. Let's do this. Let me introduce uh, my, my personal waifu here. All right. There's something about Maeve. They didn't notice it at first. Not many would have. Even now, there's debate going on in hushed whispers about what's changed in her, if anything. Maybe this is just the real her coming out. Maybe she's just more comfortable with them now that the group has been together for a while. Who can say? Well, Maeve could, obviously, but I don't think she will. If it was me, I would tell them to cast their minds back to that strangely peaceful night a month ago. As they camped by the elven ruins of Torfilion, next to a beautiful lake whose name has long been lost to history, I would remind them that on that tranquil, moonlit night, Maeve couldn't sleep. That she was the last one sitting by the dying embers of the fire as the others retired to their bedrolls. Sleep comes easy in the early autumn. The cool night breeze brings a deep and restful sleep. It's easy to imagine, then, that the sleeping adventurers might not have heard the soft melodies that began to ride in on a gentle wind, causing the smallest ripples in the tranquil lake. But Maeve, poor, sleepless Maeve, certainly did. Why didn't she wake the others, then? I don't know. Perhaps the soothing melody eased her suspicions. Perhaps she was lost in thought. Perhaps she was already in its thrall. When dancing lights began to play beneath the surface of the water, 
their multicolored swaying in tune with the ghostly melodies, made Maeve begin to move too. She stood up, swaying like a ballroom dancer with an invisible partner. Her movements brought her to the water's edge. With the elegance of a courtier, she spun and weaved through the water, seemingly unhindered by any resistance. Deeper and deeper she danced, the lights congregating around her, until finally the waters closed over the top of her head. They should have noticed, if I'm being honest. I thought the ruse wouldn't last. What emerged from the water that night? Well, it at least looked the part. Imagine my surprise when none of them blinked an eye at the change in their comrade. Bravado where once there had been temperance, flirtations in place of reservations, greed in place of duty. It was so obvious. But perhaps her companions preferred this new Maeve. After all, why ask questions when you're having fun? The questions will come, someday, when the fun ends, or when one of the fools notices Maeve only pretends to eat, and only drinks from lakes and rivers. I wonder what they will do then, when they realize that they left Maeve, the real Maeve, at the bottom of this ancient lake, in the cold, in the dark. Will they come back to free her? How many years will have passed? And what will it do when it is discovered? I wonder all of these things as I watch from my temple beneath the waves. Maeve is here, as are so many of my other guests, seated at my table and perfectly preserved here in the deep. My children flitter about in the waters above, shining their lights and waiting for their turn in the world above. Bravo. Bravo. Well, you weren't kidding about the waifu thing. (laughs) (laughs) So pleased. So pleased with that. So I I wanted to go for a a, a kind of changeling-esque route. Um, You know, something that takes your place fully. And um, so I I thought about kind of these, these water spirits these these remnants from a, a an old kingdom that you know may have been forgotten, and uh, and just kind of you know lie in wait and and uh, and and kind of become doppelgangers. I gotta know, is Maeve still alive? Uh, Maeve B. <laughs> oh. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I wanted to set it up in a way that. It, it could be either or, and it could be the start of, you know, you you could have a quest to get the the old Maeve back, or it could be a it, it could be a real thing for the party with, like you may have gone levels and hundreds of adventures with the new Maeve, and then you're just like um, the the big change is in the personality and uh, and as well as like the the little tells there as well, but. Uh, yeah, I, I just I thought it was and it, it was so um innocuous too, right? Like it's just they they camp by a lake by some ruins. Next day, everything seems fine. <laughs> everything seems fine. That's the horrifying part of that. It's like, oh, it it was just, you know, an ordinary stop and suddenly that's not your friend anymore. For the first five sessions you know three levels you get to really know this character you jive with them 
And then all of a sudden, oh, they must have just, you know, adventuring shapes up a person. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's so you know awesome. What? A lot of players wouldn't bat an eye at that either. Nope. nope. It's it's a type of plot device you'd need to to kind of work with the player, right? Because they're they're basically playing themselves and then a very different version of, of that character after. And then an yes. imposter. Um and you could have it as a thing is like if people like if the party doesn't notice, then fucking go for it. Like they don't notice. You that's you now. Um or they they could and and you can you can act accordingly, right? Like this this being is having the time of its of its life, I guess. Um above the water. So it's probably not in a hurry to go back type of thing. As has Abolith written all over it for me. Aberrations are always the center of something. And and this is just another thrall. What I would be curious what would happen is if the party did find this out, what would they think of this version of Maeve and what would they do with her in that regard? That yeah, that was what would really interest me as a as a GM. Um and and just all of the fallout with that because it, it could be I mean, it could totally upset everything or it could it could kind of split the part. Right. If they've gotten used to this new, you know, someone's just like, well, this is our like they've known this Maeve longer than the other. Yeah, they what, might what's, have. What's to say this one isn't real at this point? You have more connection, more time and more effort than you ever did with the old one. And remember, we're designing waifus here. They might be married and have four kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Now, then there's the question. Would they all get along as a party? Would they start an mm. idol group? Let's go. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, boy, I, I feel like they, we might be able to make this work as a party. Right? Because all keep our skeletons in the closet. That's it. Yeah, right? like that's it. We're all there just trying, like being like, "Yes, I'm doing normal things." How Never about you? <laughs> yeah. Hello there, fellow Hel humans. Fellow humans. Yeah. Never mind that suit of armor in the corner. Don't listen to the weird gibberings coming from the other side of the wall. Don't worry about that. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we are fine and normal, well-adjusted people. Yes. <laughs> Oh, you're taking on a different personality? Cool. Yas, queen. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what a what a absolute powerhouse force we've cre created here. Like, this is, this is great. I love all of these characters. And as, as we always say on playing the role, uh, these are OC characters. Please steal them. Please do use steal. them. Mm -hmm. do, do them. And then tell us. Tell us about how you use them. We love that. Um, we're, we're all about sharing. Sharing is caring. Propagate our waifus throughout the world. <laughs> Make fan art and send it to Dylan. It's all about <laughs> that. I'll put it on my yes. fridge. Yeah. And he'll, he'll show me the safe for work ones. So it'll, it'll be good. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> good job. All right. Well, boys, I, I award us so many points for that. I think we we all did a fantastic job. So uh, fi 15,000 15, um, XP for everyone today. Yeah. yeah. 15,000 yeah. WP. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Please don't ask what you can trade that in for. We're, we're not that kind of a show. Well, this has been an absolute blast, and uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we've enjoyed making it. 
Until next time, have a fantastic week. See ya. Bye-bye. See you later, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to share the show with your friends, family, and that eldritch horror lurking just out of sight. You can connect with Playing the Role on Facebook to see upcoming challenges and news.